Well, good evening, everyone, and a warm welcome to you all to our evening service. It's great to have you with us. Special warm welcomes if you're visiting. It's great to have you here as well. And if you are visiting or if you weren't with us last week, then you're joining us for part two of a short three-part series, slightly more interactive setup, as you'll be aware from the tables and how it's laid out. As we think about this subject of, of being compelled, we want to be a people who are compelled to speak of Jesus Christ in this world. So that's our subject that we're going to be turning to shortly. Why don't I just give you a moment to be quiet on the back maybe of busy days and busy afternoons uh, to, to praise the Lord in your own heart, to pray for yourself and for each other. This would be a significant time for us as we gather. And then I'll pray for us before we sing together. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the wonderful truth contained within that verse, that you're a God in the business of shining your light, your truth into people's hearts, that they may see the glory and the fullness of God in the face of Jesus. And we praise you, Lord, that so many of us in this room can testify to that work in our own hearts, that you shone your light and you revealed to us the work of your son and all that he's done for us at the cross. We praise you for that work. We praise you for the work of your spirit in our hearts. And Father, as we think this evening about uh, the wonderful privilege that you give us to be a people who proclaim your truth, and share Christ with this world. We thank you and we ask that you would continue to do that work that only you can do. That you be shining your light into their hearts to help them see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So be at work in our hearts and we pray for your work in the hearts of those whom we know and love. And we pray it to the praise of your glory. Amen. We may remember last week we began by looking at these few verses on the screen from Acts chapter 4. Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they were told in no uncertain terms to shut up, to stop speaking about Jesus. And this is the reply of Peter. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. The good news of the gospel is so good that we cannot keep it to ourselves. It just spills out of a heart that is full of gratitude to God. And then we look to this little definition. Evangelism, then, is the spontaneous, irrepressible urge to tell other people about the Jesus you have met who has transformed your life. Spontaneous, irrepressible, inward desire to speak of what Christ has done. And that's where we all want to get to, isn't it? In our witness, that we are so overwhelmed by all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ that we cannot help but speak about these things to the world around us. What is it that, that motivates us then? What is it that compels us to speak about Jesus? And we thought about these three G's. Our supreme motivation to speak about Christ is for the glory of Christ. He made us for his glory. 
He redeemed us for his glory and he wants us to live and witness for his glory. Secondly, we thought about the guarantee of the new creation. That world that God places before his people. A place that we long for in our hearts and a place that that we long for others to join us in with the Lord. And then lastly, we thought about the grim reality of hell. A real place where real people go. And I know as we thought about that section in particular, that was a difficult section for many of us to think about as we consider that truth, as we thought about the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 16, as we thought about that parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, no doubt we had faces in our mind. I was stood here and, and could not think of anything but my mum and dad, who at this point in time are not ready to meet Jesus on that final day. And, and my prayer during the week as I've been preparing for this evening is that as, as we think about these realities of, of heaven and hell, as we think about those who are near and dear to us, as we think about this lost world that we live in, that we wouldn't be moved to despair by these things, but that we'd be moved to our knees in prayer. Because this is where it should drive us, that we, that we might take these people daily before the throne of grace and that God would do what only he can do in their lives. And so last week we thought about our motive. What's going to move us in our hearts to be a people who speak? And then this evening we turn our attention to the means. The means by which God draws people into a living relationship with himself. How does God actually take someone from being in the dark, blind to the things of God, and move them into the kingdom of the son whom he loves and what part do we play in that process well i've got three visual aids for us this evening they're up there on the screen i've got them here as well i've got the bible here i've got a newspaper here the tame gazette and i've got a mirror here as well which we're going to come to in a minute and you see John Stott is a, a, a preacher, and one of the, the illustrations he used is he was helping other preachers think about communicating the truth of God's word effectively. But it, it's not just for preachers, this is for us all, as we think about people who have the responsibility to share Christ. He said that you need a, you need a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. I.e., we need to understand the gospel. We need to get God. We need to understand God's word, who he is, what he's done for us in Christ. But we also need to understand the world that we're speaking to. Because every individual that we'll come into contact with has a different story, a different life, different experiences. They've been shaped by different things. And if we're going to communicate God's word of truth faithfully into their lives, we need to understand this, right? God's word. But we need to understand the people who we are speaking to as well. You see, I want to add a third little visual to that because I want to bring the mirror into play as well. Because you see, I think if we're going to be effective in our witness to other people, not only do we need to understand the word of God, not only do we need to know the people that we're speaking to, but somehow we need a third hand because we need to understand ourselves You see, God has made us all wonderfully unique, and only when we understand ourselves as well will we be those people who can be effective for Jesus. And the better we know those three things, the better we know the Bible, the better we know the world, the people we speak to, and the better we know ourselves, 
the better equipped we will be to play our small part in God's great big kingdom building work. And so we're going to think about those three things over the course of the next couple of weeks. I want to start with the mirror. I want us to think about ourselves for a moment. And there's two headings for us. You'll see them in your handouts as well. They'll come up on the screen. Two handout, two, two headings which might at first seem contradictory. But let me explain. Firstly, we're all the same. But secondly, we're all different. In many ways, we're all the same. But we're also wonderfully different and unique. And we have to understand both these things. So turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. These are verses that we looked at on the church weekend away nearly two years ago now. Alex Harris came to speak on these words, these verses. I just want you to, when you found 2 Corinthians 4, to cast your eyes down to verse 2. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. This is what it says. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is our responsibility, says Paul, to set forth the truth of God plainly, to not distort it, to not change it, to not make it more more palatable and softer for the world around us to hear, but to set forth the truth of God's word in all its fullness, to speak simply about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And as we do that, as we take upon ourselves that responsibility to hold out the word of life, look down at verse 6, because look at what God is doing. And this is the verse that we began our time with this evening. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you see what God is doing? God is in the business of shining his light into people's hearts. It's the light of revelation. It's the light of truth. God is at work in people's hearts by his spirit, helping people see who Jesus is. And do you see the power that it takes to do that? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Those are the words of the creator back in Genesis chapter 1. The power with which God made this world and brought all things into being is the same power that God exerts in the human heart when he brings new spiritual life. When he moves someone from being in the dark to being in the light. You see, if you're a Christian here this evening, I'd suggest you're a Christian for two reasons. Number one, somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Praying parents, a family member, a friend, someone was brave enough and loved you enough to set forth the truth of Jesus plainly. But secondly, God above, the God of heaven, did a work in your hearts that that only he can do. And you know what? That doesn't change. As we think about the world outside these four walls, as we long for the salvation of people in our lives and people not yet in our lives, they will, they will come to Christ when two things happen. One, somebody loves them enough to tell them about Jesus. And that may just be you. <laughs> that might be your privilege to hold out the word of life to somebody. And then as God 
There's a work in their hearts that only he can do. The privilege is ours. And what a privilege it is to share in this work. But the power is God's to change people's hearts. And then we come to verse 7. A hugely significant verse that follows the activity and the work of God in people's hearts. Look at what we read. But we have this treasure. And the treasure is the gospel, right? It's the most beautiful, precious thing that we can have. God has given us the treasure of the gospel. Not to keep to ourselves, but to share with this world. And we have this treasure. We've got the gospel in jars of clay. Jar of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, we're all jars of clay. And in that sense, we're all the same, right? We are all jars of clay. You may look at some people and think, oh, they look way more confident and assured in the gospel. You may look at other people and think they just find it so easy to talk about Jesus and my knees are knocking. Here's the reality, scratched beneath the surface, we're all jars of clay. We are all weak, earthen, fragile vessels whom God has chosen to place the treasure of the gospel within our hearts. And God delights, he delights in using people like me and you in all our frailty and in all our weakness to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so if you remember just one thing from this evening, please remember this. Jars of clay must pray. Jars of clay must pray. Oh, we need God's help. I need God's help this week. I need God's help to be patient in my prayers for my family and my friends. I need God's help to be gracious in those moments where it's difficult. I need God's power and courage to stand when everything within me is quaking and for some reason I find it hard to speak. I need God's help. You need God's help. Because jars of clay must pray. And so in that sense we're all the same. Because we're all jars of clay. But in another sense we're all different. Because God has made each one of us wonderfully unique. And that is a magnificent thing when it comes to evangelism. I've maybe mentioned to you before a a guy called Goddess, who's a bit of a maverick uh, in his evangelism. He's the sort of guy that you'd be on a train with and he'd stand up and he's uh, he's an old boy now but he's he was a Cambridge graduate wore one of those big blue blazers gold buttons always dressed the same quite smart and so when he stood up he'd get everyone's attention he'd just stand up in a train and say excuse me ladies and gentlemen can I have your attention please and because he looks quite formal people would just stop what they're doing and then he'd say uh, my friend here would like to tell you the most important thing you'll ever hear they're going to tell you about Jesus and he'd sit down that's it and I met Goddess about three times and I, I was scared. Every time I was with him, I was scared. I met him at something where my mum and dad were. I was like, what's he going to do? And you know what? This world needs a few people like Goddess. It needs people that are just all in. Whatever, they're, ju- they're just all in. But it's a good thing that not everybody is like Goddess. Because God has made us all wonderfully unique. And so for the next few minutes, I want us to think a bit about different approaches to evangelism. How God has set us up as individuals. Look in the mirror. How's God made me? Personality type. We've all got the same privilege of sharing Christ. We're all jars of clay, but you're wonderfully unique. 
and you're in a, a situation, you're in a moment in time right now, how is God going to use you in all your uniqueness, in all your giftings to play your small part in his big design? And you'll see in the handout there, there's, there's a little table. Because what I want to set you off and do just for a few minutes in groups, I'm going to give you a character to look at. And there's just a few verses on that character. And I want you to, to look at their approach to evangelism. How do they approach the particular situation they're in? What word would you use to describe their style, if you like, in this, this particular moment? What are, what are the characteristics that you see coming through? What are, the, what are the strengths? Talk about what are the strengths of that approach to evangelism, but at the same time, what are the dangers? Because there's always strengths with the way that we approach things, but there's, there's risks as well. So, four characters, Peter, Paul, the blind man, and the woman at the well. So let's go these two tables far left, if you deal with Peter. Um, let's go table at the back and the law table. You can deal with Paul. These two tables here, you can deal with the blind man. Table at the back there and table here, you've got the woman at the well. And these two tables, you've got the opportunity to choose whichever character. So four or five minutes, read those verses together. Think about the way they approached evangelism in their particular context. What can we learn from these individuals? Good, okay, let's, uh, let's bring it back together. Again, no doubt you could have more time on that. But let's, uh, let's just go around, just get some very brief feedback from the group so other groups have got the benefit of hearing in uh, from the work that you've been doing. So let's think about Peter, first of all. There's a number of places we could go to. I jotted down some verses from Acts 2 and Acts chapter 3. But why don't one of those groups that uh, looked at Peter give us a word that you think maybe describes Peter's approach to evangelism? Forthright is a good word, Alexandra. Thank you, yeah. Confrontational, forthright. So, so what are some of the characteristics then that we, that we see in Peter and the way he approaches the crowds in this case? He doesn't hold back, does he? And he's very, he's very you, you, he's very, yeah, it doesn't come across too soft. It is very forthright. It's very confrontational. And so as you think about that approach, and you see that in Peter, right? You see that sort of characteristic coming out throughout the Gospels. What, what are some of the strengths of that, and what are some of the, the dangers of that approach in our witness? There's no hiding from the truth, is there? Certainly. And he doesn't miss an opportunity. You'll see this every time a crowd gathers, Peter's like itching to get to his feet, because here's an opportunity, says Peter, and he grabs every single opportunity, which is a real strength of those people that are quite forthright, and have that confrontational style. But of course, there's, there's a danger with all these things as well. So what, what are some of the dangers of that approach? It is. And there's a danger that it puts people off. If you watch God as in a train, uh, there are people that will walk out. You know, people don't, don't like that. Often evangelism today is more built on, on relationships and years of investments, etc. So no doubt there's a place for these things. But we've got to be careful. If, if your natural default position is jump in, two-footed, go, 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 opportunity, just be wary that you're dealing with different people in different situations. So we've got the confrontation. Again, you can call it what you want, but that very direct, forthright approach. Then we come to the Apostle Paul, these two tables. So maybe, maybe a slightly different approach from Paul. And, and no doubt you'll see Paul differ as well in his missionary journeys, but in these particular passages in, in Acts chapter 17, how would you describe uh, Paul's approach? 
Give us a word, firstly. Forthright again. Confident. Knowledgeable. Yeah, reasoned. Yeah, very structured, very thought through, isn't it? So although he comes across with confidence, there seems to be this language of reasoning and explaining and and persuading with his arguments. What are some of the... Um, strengths of, of that approach of Paul, that very, that very reasoned approach in the way he explains and, and leads people gently, if you like, through a more systematic approach. Yeah, and we live in a world that likes reason, that likes logic, and so to, to lay things out in a nice logical way and a reasoned approach to things can be very helpful, certainly for those with the more scientific minds that like to engage in, in these reasoned debates. What, what about the, the dangers? Sorry, not looking at these two groups. You might have chosen one of these as well. But what are the, what are some of the, the dangers or the risks of this, this intellectual, quite reasoned, debating sort of approach? It can come across as arrogant because it's just in for lots of information coming out and you can drown people sometimes in information and, 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 and maybe a danger that we, we just try to win the argument because if you're the debating type, you just like your, your persuasion to come out on top of the others and actually you, you become more concerned with winning the argument rather than winning the person, winning the soul. Sometimes the best thing to do is just say, look, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really just not sure, but this I do know about Jesus. And so there's strengths in these different approaches, but there's things to be to be wary of as well. So we've got a, a confrontational approach. We've got maybe a more intellectual, reasoned, explained sort of approach. And then we come to the blind man. Which groups? This front two, wasn't it? How would how would we describe our, our blind man in the story? What sort of approach? Straightforward. Yeah, very simple, straightforward. Doesn't look to be much reasoning and an explanation and arguments and scripture necessarily in there. Very simple approach. Personal. personal. Yeah. Very personal. Very, very testimonial, isn't he? He's, he's telling the story. He's not using all these reasoned arguments and debates. He's just saying, this is what happened to me. Here's my story. No nonsense, no frills. This is what happened when I met Jesus. Very testimonial approach. And what are the strengths of that as we think about that approach to evangelism? Yeah. It's his story. You can always argue against this reasoned approach and all the evidence-based and things. And what about the Bible? There's always comebacks to these things. But when someone stands there and says, well, I'll tell you my story. This is what happened when I met Jesus and he changed my life. It's very powerful, isn't it? It's very authentic. It's very earthy. It's, it's very real. It's just there. It's simple. Well, any, any dangers with the testimonial approach? Yeah, might not relate to it or connect to it. Yeah, and sometimes you can get caught up in storytelling all these things and you actually end up telling these people more about yourself rather than Jesus. And you don't center your story on the main character, which is Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so you see, it's not that we're going to fit into one of these, it's that we need to have this, this broader picture and different moments call for different times, etc., uh, so we've got the testimonial, so we've got confrontational, intellectual, testimonial. And then last week we come to our, our woman at the well. So how would we describe our, our lady at the well? Yeah. And what does she also do in there? And what's the little line she uses in there when she is witnessing? Can you remember? Come and see. Yeah, it's very invitational, isn't it? It's, it's come and see. 
Just, just, I've met this guy, Jesus, and he's turned my life upside down. Come and meet him, will you? Will you come and meet him? We don't know whether this lady said anything more about that, but she, she brought her friends to a place where they were going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. And you'll see that some of you, when events come on, and you're always there with a friend, and, and not necessarily you're, you're giving the whole gospel, and it's not, but, but you're just warm, and you invite people, and you say, do you want to come along to, to church, or do you want to come along to a ladies' breakfast, because there's this guy Jesus, and he's great, and I want you to meet him. And maybe that's just the part you play in connecting them with somebody else who will explain the gospel to them. Strengths and weaknesses of that approach? She's just, she's been obviously impacted, isn't she? And, and whatever the other people think of it, you look at a person like that and they, you, you know when someone's been impacted by the gospel, which is a very powerful thing in and of itself. Any risks in there? You can be very warm, very relational, and you can spend years and years building friendships, deep friendships with people, but at some point you've got to introduce them to Jesus. <laughs> and there's a balance in this all the time, isn't there? One person can jump in, charge, 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 confrontational. Someone can just build these steady relationships and love and care, but it's our job to set forth the truth plainly, or to introduce them to people where they're, gonna, where they're going to hear the gospel. What I'd love you to do now for just a minute, and maybe you think that's too clinical to, to put people into categories. It's not that I'm trying to put you into a category. It's just to be aware, depending upon your makeup and personality type, there will be sort of a default position that you probably fall into. So just for a moment on your own, I want you to look at those and think, one, two, three, four, where would I be? And you might think I'm just across the board, or you might look at yourself and think that's totally me. I totally relate to Peter, or I totally relate to, to the woman at the well. So number one, what would be your default position through to number four, which you think is a long way away from how you're set up to operate? Just take a moment to, to think what that looks like for you. See, the point of the exercise isn't just to say, well, I'm confrontational, that's how God's maybe, and that's the way that I'm going to be. The point is it's helpful to understand what our, what our default position is, but we also need to be ready to adapt depending upon the situation. That's why we need a mirror. We need to understand ourselves, but it's why we need a newspaper in the other hand. Because it's not just about me and what I'm like and understanding myself. Every single person you speak to has a different story, and we need to understand them. Which is why in a minute we're going to get the newspaper open. We're going to think about what it looks like for us to understand the world we're operating, what it looks like to understand the people um, that we're speaking to. And as you look through the Gospels, of course, Jesus does this brilliantly, doesn't he? Never compromises the truth, but the way Jesus is in different situations with different people, sometimes he's quite forthright, other times ever so gentle. So there's different approaches as Jesus understands the people that are before him and adapts depending upon the situation. That's why we need a mirror up. I need to understand what I'm like and my default position, but that shouldn't dictate fully. I also need to understand the person that I'm speaking to so that I can engage relevantly with that individual. So in summary, when it comes to knowing ourselves, we're all the same. We're all jars of clay, and jars of clay must, they must pray. And so in that sense, we're all the same. That's a challenge for us all. But we're also all different. We're wonderfully and uniquely made by God. And God's got a purpose and a design for you. Your particular makeup in this season of life. How does the Lord want to use you in all your uniqueness and in all your weakness? 
How is he going to use you? Let me just finish this little section with some words from, you'll see, from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And, of course, Isaiah was incredibly unique in his role that the Lord called, the Lord called him to. But in, in some sense, we, we've all got to respond to the call of Christ upon our hearts because he, he calls us all to be a part in some way of, of his kingdom-building work. This is how Isaiah responds to the call of God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Send me, says Isaiah. Send me. In all my weakness, jar of clay. In all my uniqueness, wonderfully and individually made, here I am. Lord, send me and send me wherever you want me to go. Wherever you call me to go, however you call me to be, let it be so. Because I want to be your person, Lord Jesus, in this moment, in this place, to be your mouthpiece to this broken world. So we're going to watch a little video now. And as we do, it's words that reflect those uh, song that reflects the words there in Isaiah and as you think about the general call, if you like, to follow Christ and, and the call, I hope we're all here saying, send me, and that fills me with nervousness, send me, Lord, this week, help me be your person. What is the particular call on your heart as you hear these words? What is God calling you to do for him right now? And what does it look like for you to be obedient to that call? So let's watch the video, and then we'll come back with part two in a moment. Here am I, Lord, send me. It's a prayer to make our own, isn't it? However vulnerable we feel, jars of clay, Lord, I, I want to be your person in this moment. And so firstly, the mirror. If we want to be effective for Jesus in this world, we need to understand ourselves to a point. But then we come to the newspaper, because we also need to understand the world that we're speaking to. So turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. It's where we were last week with Paul in Athens. Know ourselves and secondly, know the world. Have a look at Acts chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I need to notice three things. Firstly, Paul spends time walking around Athens, working out what people worship. He looks at the objects, he listens to the people. He's working out what people are worshipping. Secondly, he exposes the folly of their idols, these false gods that people are committing their lives to. He helps them see how empty and futile these idols are. And then thirdly, he points them to the one true living God. Have a look again at verse 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully... Your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. You see, you could say that Paul is a worship spotter. 
And by that I don't mean he's gazing at the band as they lead the music. I mean he, he's looking intentionally out in this world to see what it is that people are living for. You see, every single person was made to worship. We are all worshipful creatures. Everybody worships something. What sin does is cause us to worship other things in God's place. Things that will never save or satisfy. Empty idols, futile gods. And we looked at some of them last week, didn't we? Career and and family and money and fame and approval and success and comfort. These are the things that the people of our day, and they're in our hearts as well, that people place before God. They prioritize these things ahead of the one true living God. And it is part of our job to understand what people worship, to gently expose the folly of these idols, the things that they're living for. And as we do that, to point them to Jesus Christ, who alone can save and satisfy. We need to cultivate, if you like, this art of, of, of getting inside people's hearts and understanding what they're living for and presenting Christ so their hearts might be drawn to him instead. How do we do that? Well, two ways, I think. Firstly, we need to ask a lot of questions, and I'm not very good at this, but I think this is incredibly important in evangelism, that we ask people questions that probe beneath the surface of their life, not these superficial questions, chit-chat that we have so often, but deeper questions. What are you living for? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What is driving you? What are your fears in life? Questions that really get beneath the surface into people's hearts because we want to get to know the real them. We need to read the newspaper. I've got to understand the person I'm talking to. I need to know something of their life. I need to know why they believe what they believe. I need to understand something of the influences that have led them there. And you know what? If you keep asking those questions, at some point you'll get a question back. What, what are you living for? <laughs> There's your opening. Here's the person that I'm living for. Jesus. Let me tell you about him. So I went in to see Kathy on last Saturday before her operation on the Monday and we we're chatting at the at the bedside and and she made a friend with a porter that gives her the big mug so they all get little mugs in hostel but Kathleen invested in this porter and so she got this big mug of tea that apparently she needs every day this Kathy but a lot of people ignore the porters in hostel because they just lie there and it's hard of course but they ignore people but Kathy made she made it a purpose to to get to know this guy that came each morning and she asked him questions She asked about his life. I wonder how many people ask about his life as he serves them. Not many, I bet. She asked him questions. And he asked her questions back and they, and they get talking and, and he asked her a question about whether she was scared and she said, no, I'm not scared. And she said, well, you're stronger than most. You know what Kathy said back to him? I'm not strong, but I've got a strong God. And then he said, I think he was, he was, he was, I'm not sure what country he was from, but he said, oh, you're Catholic then. They got into a bit of a, a conversation about that. And it, it didn't go beyond that. But here's the point. Kathy had an opportunity to say, my God's strong. <laughs> I'm not strong. But my God is strong. Why did she get that opportunity? Because she asked questions. That's why. She could have just waited for the tea to come, say, thanks, cheers. I'll have my small cup of tea. 
No, she, she asked this man questions of life. And in the end, the question came back. And she used that moment to say something of her God. We don't know where the conversations go. Sometimes they dry up straight away. Sometimes they don't ask a question back. That's fine. You can't control that. But when they do, and when the opening comes, you just say something. And you know what? When the hook goes out there, maybe they ask another question. You don't know where that conversation is going to lead. But it often begins with asking real questions about life. that They can see that you care. You want to know them. You want to understand the newspaper that you're reading. Firstly, we've got to ask questions of people, right? We've got to. And then secondly, we've got to listen well. You see, often when we think about evangelism, we think about speaking, and that's right. The evangel, the gospel, the good news is a message that must be heralded and proclaimed to this world. But at the same time as speaking, we've got to be good at listening as well. And of course, there's listening... And there's really listening, isn't there? There's giving someone an ear for two minutes because you want to tell them something for ten minutes. And there's really listening because you just want to know something about their life. You want to know them. You want to read the newspaper properly. Because only when we understand the person we're speaking to will we be appropriate with our words, will we be gentle with our words, and will we be faithful with our words in a way that will resonate with the person, the soul the individual life that is stood before us. I remember a, a guy, uh, I can't remember I read this, but there's a guy that's on a train, on the underground train, I think, in America, and he tells a story of how a, a mum with three children came into his carriage and he was reading or doing some work and he sort of thinks, oh, no, nightmare. I'm about to have my silence disrupted. And it was quiet for a minute and then the children start messing around and the, the mum sort of tames them in and then this keeps happening and in the end he snaps. He said, do you mind? I'm trying to work. And the mum, the mother said, oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. We've, we've just come from the hospital and, and their dad has died. And they're feeling, they're finding it pretty difficult to deal with. Understanding that would totally have changed his approach, wouldn't it? Totally have changed. If he'd have understood something of the life before him, the newspaper that he'd failed to read, there's no way he'd have said that. And so often we're like this in our evangelism that we say things and we we do it because we haven't taken time to understand the person that is before us. And you see, back in Acts chapter 17, we don't know how long Paul wandered around Athens listening to, to to the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers. How long did he spend wandering around? How long did it take to find that that idol to an unknown God? I don't know, maybe weeks. Maybe weeks Paul didn't speak and he was just listening to people, understanding the culture. He's looking around at the things that they worship. He's understanding the mission field that lies before him before he steps in and says, I can proclaim to you what you're worshipping is unknown. Because we've got a real God who's revealed himself in this world. I don't know, we don't get that detail in Acts, but this I do know. If we're going to be effective instruments in the hands of a great redeemer, God's people in God's moment for his glory, then we need to ask questions of people's lives and we need to listen well to what they say and we need to pray for opportunities that God would give us those moments, that he'd give us all the grace and courage we need to take them and exalt the person of Christ because it's only he that can save and satisfy And so my challenge for you this week is do that. 
do it with people you've sat next to in your office or for years, but have you ever asked them questions, real questions about what they love, what their life's all about? Please this week, ask a few questions beyond the superficial, top-level stuff. Listen to what they say, pray for opportunities and see what God does with it. And there may just be one door open up this week that wouldn't have done because you're the people in the world asking those questions. So in summary, we've got to know ourselves. There's the mirror, yeah? We've got to understand ourselves. And in many ways, we're all the same. We're all jars of clay and jars of clay must pray. But we're all wonderfully unique as well, how God has set us up. And we've got to understand ourselves so that God can use us with all our our uniqueness and all our weakness. But we've got to know the world. There's the newspaper. We've got to understand the world that we're speaking to. And we've got to ask questions. And we've got to listen lots. And we've got to pray for opportunities. And then last week we come back and we look at the third thing. Newspaper in one hand, mirror in the other. And of course, God's word held up high. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not me. Not you. The gospel is the power of God for salvation and it is our job and it is our joy to hold out the life-giving gospel to this world as God by his grace shines his light into people's hearts to help them see the glory and the fullness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing now, we're going to sing a little block of songs that the band's going to lead us in. So let's sing these songs, let's use it as a time to reflect and there'll be an opportunity to pray as well in between some of these songs think of those people God has placed on your heart and let's be those people that say here I am Lord send me this week to be your person in your place